0: Thank you. Happy Father's Day to all the proud Papas out there, and thank you for logging in to another episode of Fish Bites. My name is Danny Martinez, and today we have a sweet and short one for you. We're going to streamline it. We're going to go right to the pitching performance. We have one dialogue question that was sent in, which, quite frankly, I believe was a little bit sarcastic, but I liked it so much that I, I wanted to answer it because it gave us really good conversation. And then we're going to bring in Ed Sanabria onto the show. He's our guest Today. He's a, a behavior analyst and a lifelong Marlins fan. And what I love about what Ed wants to talk about is the fact that it is so easy, at least for me, and you know, you have to answer that for yourself. It's so easy for me to empathize with what he wants to talk about, which is the frustrations of being a Marlins fan because there's so few of us. Right, even in our own city, I often make the joke that I'll go to my barber shop, and everyone there has their their different crazy concepts of the Marlins, and it's usually not overly positive. It it is frustrating in our own in our own families. We have the Yankee fan, we have the Red Sox fan, we have the Cubs fan, and yet for whatever reason, and I we can dictate all of those reasons, all of the rebuilds, the different ownerships, the loyalties, and, and the bloodlines. Are not there. So we really are few and far between. And Ed is going to come on and talk to us about that concept. And I really think it's a great one. I really believe that we're going to be able to have a good conversation on that. And it's something that you, the listener, will be able to feel, right? If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you're one of the few and far between Marlins fans. And I'm interested in seeing what Ed has to say about that. But, of course, we're going to start off with our player performances and our pitching performance shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Now, I'm recording this before Sandy has a start, and we all know Sandy's good on Sundays and Sandy's good in day games, and he might go out there against the Pirates, against the Buckos, and really just put out a really nice performance. But my pitching performance of the week has to be Yams. It has to be Jordan Yamamoto, someone that uh, myself and the guys at ETS earning their stripes have spoken about ad nauseum because of what he was able to do with the minor league system and then because he gets promoted. And even though he's on the 40-man, somewhat of a surprise. And there's a lot of ambiguity there. Is it a spot start? Is he going to start again this upcoming Tuesday? Is he going to stick in the rotation? So when you get called up, right, and you know a day ago you were on a double-A bus and now you're facing the Cardinals lineup and you put up seven scoreless innings, You only allow three hits. You strike out five of their hitters. You only walk two. And of course, like I said, scoreless. It's something to be praised. Now, there were some loud outs. There were some hard outs. His defense helped him.
1: Smack. What a play by Cooper. That's three, six, three, double play. What a backhand on a sharp bit. And the Marlins turn another double play.
0: But Jordan Yamamoto deserves this designation. And I think at the very least, Jordan Yamamoto deserves to start this upcoming Tuesday at St. Louis, which is interesting. When you have a young arm, you might have you have good enough stuff, a bit of an advantage. There isn't a playbook out on you now with as advanced, as, an, as intelligent as these uh, organizations are. I'm sure they knew what they were facing, Yamamoto, from his minor leagues, but we've never seen him play at the big league level. And you could see that he really worked with the timing of throwing off the timing of the hitters. And it was a fantastic thing to view because he needs that, right? He needs the control. He needs to throw off the timing of the hitters, their rhythm, their cadence, because he's not going to overpower them with, with 97 uh, you know, fastball right through, right, right high in the zone. So you need to work with control, you need to work with cadence, but now the hitters get a second chance. Now this, the hitters will have seen him three, four times this upcoming Tuesday. So I do believe that he earned his spot to come up on Tuesday. And the fact that he's still on the roster right now dictates that he's probably going to start Tuesday. The question then becomes, where do we go from here? And I, actually, I'll also add this. He added a nice little RBI. It was nice to see that. He said that he hadn't bunted in you know forever and that they call it. And he just said, all right, let's put contact on the ball. And it worked. He picked up himself, uh, a nice little RBI there on a squeeze play.
1: And he's going to get a shot at least at the start of the seventh inning. A bunt on a squeeze! He pulled it off! On the first pitch from Tyler Webb, who just came in, and he has an RBI, his first Major League RBI.
0: What a night for Jordan Yamamoto. But yes, then where do we go from here with Yams? Right, I, Like I said, I think he starts next Tuesday. But the fact that Urania Urania's injury was a little bit more than was first reported, as we kind of spoke about, on the previous recording, opens up things a little bit. It it, it remains possible now that, yes, Yams has this start on Tuesday, but that Gallon is really the individual who will eventually come up and take that spot. Now, the way that that might work and the way that might operate is that in a very odd way, Yams would then be in line for a promotion. Now, you're saying, well, Dan, he's already at the major league level. What do you mean by that? Well, if they really are considering this an emergency spot situation, then the promotion would be that Yams has never pitched in AAA. So Gallon would come up to the major league level and just take his seat there because he is absolutely deserving of that spot. Yams would get a pseudo promotion because he would have gone from full-time double A to then making a spot start, but then full-time triple A. And then whenever there's another spot opened, whether via injury or whether via a trade. Of Caleb Smith would really be the only candidate right now. Yams would get the ultimate promotion again of coming back up to the major leagues. Now, I understand that for a lot of individuals that might irk you a little bit because he comes up, he performs really well. What happens if Tuesday he performs really well again? What would we, what would we be saying if we then take that away from him and send him down to AAA? I, I'm not sure what the answer might be. They might look at Yams and say. All right, this is a Pablo Lopez situation. You pitched two outings in a row that were really great, you're gonna stick it here, and Gallon's just gonna have to wait. But make no mistake that Gallon is absolutely deserving. So if it does occur that Yams has this somewhat of a pseudo-promotion, so from you know, full-time double A to full-time triple A, and then Gallon gets the call-up, I would personally be okay with that. Either way, it was phenomenal to see him out there. I don't know if you saw the interview with Fox Sports Florida after where he became tearful because this is what he wants. This is what he's uh, striven for. You know, he spoke about his family and and I believe that it was his his sister that wasn't able to make it. And it it was it was a beautiful thing to see. It's something that I have been parroting since the first time that I got on this episode, which was that these young guys want to get here. And and here in quotations can be Miami. It could be the major leagues, whatever it is. They want to get here. And when they get here, they show how important it is for them. And at the end of the day, it's nice to see Jordan come up here, a guy who deserves it, a guy who's super kind. If you didn't hear the interview on Earning Their Stripes, go back a few episodes and, and he's he was one of our guests. It was awesome to see him there. And it was also awesome to see the guys in double A around like a table watching his start. Um, it was it was it was phenomenal and he is absolutely deserving of the pitching performance of the week. The hitter of the week also should not be a surprise. Garrett Cooper is going to be evidence number one when the Yankees charge Gary Dembo on theft. A drive deep left center field. That baby is gone. It's a grand
1: slam. The second grand slam for Garrett Cooper in his career. And the Marlins lead 5-0.
0: Because the fact that Gary Dembo and the Marlins brass was able to get Caleb Smith and Garrett Cooper for the Yankees. This is actually the first trade that they actually made is just phenomenal. Garrett Cooper over his last week is hitting 417, getting on base at a 440 clip, slugging 625. He has 10 hits over those last seven games over the year. He's hitting 310 on base 391, slugging 491. He leads the Marlins in OPS at 882. And quite frankly, he's played adequate first base. The thing with Cooper was going to be whether he could stick in the outfield, whether he only, you know, he he was never going to be a center fielder, but whether he was able to even be a corner outfielder. Well, at first base, he has a plus one defensive run saved thus far. Zero is average play. So he's playing around average to better defense at first. He made a few nice grabs. Yesterday, you could see that he's working quickly. He's making decisions quickly on ground balls that could be double plays. Do I go to first or do I go to second first? You know, It's, it's nice to see because what's happening is, in my opinion, he is placing himself, at least in the conversation, to be a full-time answer at first base. Now, listen, he is older, right? He's 27, 28. I'm not saying that he is going to be here in, you know, five, six years. But in in the immediacy of the Marlins' plan, next year, 2021, when they should start competing, 2022, you can see a Garrett Cooper at age 30, 31, being, you know, I don't know if he'd be middle of the bat lineup at that point, Or if they would even keep him where he is right now, he loves that two-hole spot. But you could see him being a part of this core, this concept that a team needs to rebuild around a bunch of 25-year-olds is ridiculous. He could be a 28-year-old, 29-year-old, 30-year-old, especially when you're a bat-first, first first baseman who can play there. Now, bat-first, first baseman is what I've been preaching in free agency, right? I've been preaching a Jose Abreu. And yet, right away, everyone says, well, he's already 32. He's getting older. Well, what if Garrett Cooper has made the concept of spending on Abreu at least inadequate or at least brought to the table that it's not something that we need to do? If that is the case, if Garrett Cooper continues this, and listen, he's hit wherever he's gone. This isn't something that should be looked at as a flash in the pan. Will he continue this pace? Probably not. But Garrett Cooper has been an adequate hitter. It's just been about staying healthy with him. He's been able to stay healthy this last month or so, and we're seeing the production that he can put forward. I don't have an issue with them passing over then a Jose Abreu, regardless of how great that would be for marketing situation of the Marlins. If that means that Garrett Cooper has been at three years younger, four years younger, been able to put up the offensive production that we would be spending heavily for anyway. Garrett Cooper's not the sexy name. I understand that. From a marketing standpoint, it's also not necessarily showing Miami that, oh, we're going out and spending. You go out and you spend on a Jose Abreu, that's a significant step for Miami, and we're going to talk about that later on, what that might mean for the city. But he has definitely put himself in the conversation, where maybe you can use that money elsewhere. Maybe you use that money for a shortstop. Or by 2021, if, you know, this Marriott and Arsenal of Arms that you have, if you still haven't filled out your bullpen, you go and you spend heavy on a you know, uh, significant innings eater or on a high leverage back of the pen arm. At the end of the day, what's exciting here is that Garrett Cooper was got for nothing. He was brought over for almost nothing. Look, Michael King is a, is a very good prospect. He had a very good year, was showing a lot of development prior to getting hurt. I understand that. But consider that you got Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith. You got two lottery tickets, and both of them seem to be cashing in. Both of them have injury concerns. We see that right now with Smith, and we've seen it before with Cooper. But man, Gary Dembo's going to have a hard time not looking at theft when you're talking about that trade and when you're looking at the production. I'll say it one more time. Over the last week, 417, 440, 625 with 10 hits. He's not going to stay at that rate. But if he stays even close to his over-the-year numbers right now, which is 310, 391, and 491, you're looking at someone who has made it Nece- unnecessary to go get a Jose Abreu because you have a younger version of a nice first baseman already in the organization. So, our dialogue question I, I mentioned that it sounded sarcastic, and we're going to go into it, right? We have a good 10, 10 15 minutes maybe until, until Ed comes on. I will send this email and this private message on Twitter from the same person quote Danny is there anything you were worried about okay I get it right I'm a positive guy right this was possibly a taste of sarcasm um, and and of course it's all in good fun right I won't say who mentioned it whatever the case is but I understand I'm a positive individual I, I, I sent this out and this was all this entire thread on Twitter was because of this question right I sent this, out. I said, part of the thread, this was a tweet. I said, there are negative developments in year two of the rebuild. There are positive developments of the rebuild. If it seems like some of us, myself included, are too positive, it's because we have to repeat the same stuff over and over and over again because men many only focus on the negatives while ignoring the positive. So I can understand how someone would say, Danny, is there anything that you actually feel there is an issue with? Because it seems like everything is going to work out or everything is positive, whatever the case is. To those who say that, I mean, I'll also say you're probably not paying close enough attention. I've been on on here and in my articles. Uh, critical of certain things, whether it was the Chip Bowers situation, whether it was the entire first year public relations, the way that they handled the Stanton trade, the fact that they didn't trade the arms last year when they were at high leverage uh, in the bullpen pieces. So if you really think I'm only positive, I think that you are simply not paying enough attention and you're only focusing on the things that I have to repeat over and over again. Guys like myself and other individuals that do the same because everyone's always overlooking the positive and only focus on the negative. So you hear me over and over again as a vocal point, vocal point, repeating the same stuff. But to answer the question, and I'm going to have some fun with it. Absolutely. There are things that I'm worried with. Are you kidding me? How could I not? Right. I mean, how could we not with the circumstances that have surrounded this franchise with the fact that no rebuild is a sure thing? And with what I'm not going to say and reveal quite yet, but the biggest thing that I'm worried about is so meaningful towards if there's any success or not, and it has nothing to do with the players. So I'll answer this, converse- I'll answer this question in two pieces. The first one is what I'm not worried about. And then we're going to go to the big overarching dark cloud in the sky during hurricane season of what I am worried about what the most optimistic person, sarcastically, is worried about. So here's, here's what I'm not worried about. And we're going to start there because most of them have to do with baseball operations. What I'm not worried about with the Marlins in this rebuild is the pitching, right? I think most people are going to agree with me. You've heard me say it, and I feel like once I started saying it, everyone started saying it. Marlins currently have the eighth-best starting pitching ERA. Not in the National League, no, the entire league. Oh. And that staff's average age is under 25 years old. And that's not even including Yamamoto at the, at the minute. Then it's well under 25 years old. That's not even thinking about Zach Gallen coming up yet. Eighth in Major League Baseball. Not just in the NL. In Major League Baseball. Oh, and there's like 15 plus arms in the minor league system. You've heard me say it, but again... Fifteen plus arms that have top of the rotation caliber and at the moment are pitching under a, a, a sub uh, four ERA. So one thing I'm not worried about that we could just get right out of the way is the pitching, and I doubt that many people are. Caleb Smith right now, like I said, always will go back and forth through ERA and FIP. For those that are new to the show, FIP is Fielding Independent Pitching. It uh, tries to control. It tries to eliminate what the pitcher doesn't control. So it says if the pitcher had average league defense behind them, what would their ERA look like? So I'm going to give you the player. I'm going to give you the first number is the ERA, and the FIP is the second number. Caleb Smith, for the year, 3.41 ERA, 4.19 FIP. Sandy, prior to today's start, 3.67 ERA, 4.35 FIP. Richards, 3.68 ERA, 4.51 FIP. Lopez. 4.23 4.23 ERA, 3.52 FIP. The player, the pitcher there who actually has the worst ERA might actually be the best of them. And not just because of FIP, just because of everything else that you see. These are the baby faced aces. And then you go ahead and you add a Jordan Yamamoto to that. You add a Zach Gallen to that list, who are the two most immediate pieces that we'll see at the major league level. You add even an Eliezer Hernandez, who might be best in the bullpen probably just mostly because of the competition for the starting staff, but who has also held his own and held his own when he got called up to start for Smith. The pitching is ridiculous, and it's nothing that we should be worried about. But then you go to the position players. Now, I'm still not at the place of where I'm worried because we have discussed the position players at Naziman what you need to look for. We're looking for very specific certain players to perform we're not looking for an entire lineup in year two of a rebuild that is playoff worthy because obviously that's not what you're going to find well right now at the major league level you have the fourth rated catcher in the national league in george afro when you're looking at f War wins above replacement he just turned 26 like five days ago so the fourth rated catcher in war so player value in the national league is already on the marlins Oh, and he just turned 26. Then you have Brian Anderson, also recently turned 26. He's top 10 in both National League third base and right field. And when you look at his advanced metrics, we did that last week, so I won't go too far into it. He is average or well above average in almost all of them. Whether it's exit velocity, whether it's hard hit percentage, whatever you want to look at, he's there. And then... You have Harold Ramirez for the year slugging 303, 333, 394. And I believe that actually went up after last night. You have Garrett Cooper with the numbers that I gave you earlier. 310, 391, 491. And then you have Neil Walker, who is the veteran who could have been a trade piece. It'll be interesting to see when he comes back what they do at first base. Does Cooper stay there? Probably not. I would imagine Cooper then fills an outfield corner role and Walker plays again to get enough reps to have some trade value because before he got hurt he was hitting 295 375 443 that is someone who you can get something back for even if it's just international free agency money which is something that the marlins have been very aggressive with and have been looking to get in their trades the, the rest of the players by the way miggy Rowe has been playing really well too miguel rojas over the last month, I don't have the exact numbers with me, but I have no doubt that if you go look up the leaderboards over the last maybe week, two weeks, maybe even to a month, he's towards the top of them. He's been playing really well in that eight spot. But outside of that, the rest are veterans who are not likely to be a part of the future. And that's important to distinguish in a rebuild. Is this player part of the future or not? I've spoken about that quite a lot. So when someone says, oh, well, clearly Danny has to be worried about the offense, guess what? I'm sorry I'm not. And it has nothing to do with optimism. It has to do with the numbers I just showed you, the objective numbers. I I didn't change them. The people who are supposed to be a part of the future are a part of the future. Those same five individuals of Alfaro, Anderson, Ramirez, Cooper. And then I include Walker in there because it's someone who could be of value for someone else who could be a part of the future because he could be traded. Those same five are the same five that are leading the Marlins in OPS, that are leading the, the Marlins in uh, uh, runs created plus. Any kind of offensive metric that you want to look at, the future is leading the fish. So I'm not too worried about the about the current offensive state. Then we look at the minor league system, and the minor league system, depending on who you talk to, is either top 13, top 10, top 15, and then you have some outliers that have them towards the back because, quite frankly, I'll just say it, I don't think they pay enough attention to farm systems. The Marlins farm system is littered with all-stars. They just had the all-star weekend for uh, Jupiter. I hope you all went had a good time. Jose Devers was an all-star candidate, or not a candidate, a selection. Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers, Jordan Holloway. You have guys that should be all stars, whether the voting takes them that way or not. Isan Diaz, absolutely. Monte Harrison, if he hadn't gotten hurt, would have been a shoe in, but still might be someone that deserves to get in. Zach Gallen. In the lower levels, you have guys like Hidalgo Carnacion and Chris Valamont. It's littered with all stars across the minor league system. A bunch of them that are knocking on the door. Zach Gallen already has his entire weight on it. I wrote on fish stripes. He is pushing fully across the door. If he had one of those SWAT rammers that they have, he would already be in it. Gallon, Harrison, Diaz, all right on the door, all playing at all-star levels in the minor league level. So when you're talking about, am I concerned about the minor league level? I'm sorry, that's not it either. I'm not concerned about the pitching at the major league level. I'm not concerned about the offensive pieces at the major league level. And I'm not concerned about the minor league level, especially now after this draft. But here's what worries me. And I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair concern, and it actually connects very well. I didn't even do this on purpose with what Ed is going to be speaking about. There is a fair question of does any amount of success or trust building or changes in relationship or rebranding or lowering the concessions or success in the minor leagues convince Miami, and convince the surrounding fan base to come back and open their eyes and arms to the organization. You want to know what I'm worried about? It's that. Because an organization, regardless of revenue sharing, regardless of uh, 100 million different ways which they can hold on to their money, if they do not have a fan base that can pump more than 10,000 individuals out a game, which is the lowest of the lowest bar then you're in a tough situation. I don't think Miami understands what they have with a professional league here in South Florida. And I don't blame anyone that is past it. Because at the end of the day, we have discussed this over and over again. The concept of the rebuilds, the concept of being a scorn lover, the concept of, I'm just being honest, not knowing who was even traded for, for the big names. The concept of not knowing how they're doing in the minor leagues, the individuals that only care about the win-loss record at the major league level and have no interest whatsoever at the minor league system, you can all be validated. You are allowed to be the type of fan that you are. But the problem is, is that when there's too many of those and not enough of the individuals that say this is a rebuild, it's going to take time. Look at the good that's happening. It's not a good situation to be in. Because in Miami, you need to win. We have established that. But my question isn't if they're going to win. This team, the way that they have constructed the minor leagues, and look, I get it. They had a head start because they gave out and they rebuilt with a lot of outgoing talent, even though I do not include Stanton in that because of the no trade clause, because of injury concerns, and because of the fact that he could choose where he was going and the money. But Yelich and Ozuna and the rest of them, they had value in the trades, especially JT. So they had a head start. But with that head start, they've added immense pitching. They've added immense talent in the system. And they've knocked out this draft. So for those that are saying rebuilds can never actually, you know, we don't know if it'll happen. I get that. But, man, this one has a really good chance of at least producing a competitive club within two to three years. So my question isn't even will they win. No. My question is when they win, is it still enough for Miami to come back? And I don't know. The, the attendance looks worse than it is because Miami is still one of the few clubs to count turnstiles instead of giveaways and if they bought the ticket. No, if you bought a ticket, you weren't given it to. You. If you bought a ticket and you walked into Marlins Park, you are counted in the attendance. Before, if you bought a ticket, if you were given a ticket, if you came into the, into the park, if you stayed at home, if you sold the ticket, all of those were counted before. This is something that the new ownership has been praised for. And still one of the very few teams, if not one of the only teams in Major League Baseball, at least, to count in this fashion. It's transparent, but oh man, it looks really bad when the casual fan looks at the attendance and doesn't realize that there's a difference. Doesn't realize that the average of what, 8,000, 10,000 would really be like 15,000 right now. If we had counted it the way that previous ownership and most ownership groups around the league do. And yet it does not change the fact that not enough people are there. I get it, propagandist, but the park is beautiful. I don't have to be on payroll, which I'm not, to say that the park is beautiful. It's a, it's, a, it's a style opinion, but most of the feedback has been that that park is gorgeous. And that whether the Marlins win or not, you have a good time at it. You walk around, you see the center field area, the food is fantastic, the ticket prices is great. The worst thing about Marlins Park right now is just paying for parking. And that's because of the deal that they have with the city. So it's not a blind hope to say that there are good things about the park. But I get it. No one's coming out for a rebuilding team. Miami's upset at just the entity of the Marlins, which is when you have why when you have a conversation, no one can find a way to just stick to the new change in the Marlins. No one can talk about just the 2017 plus moves. It always has to go back to Huizenga or back to Loria or back to all the players that we've lost. And I get that. I understand that it's very hard to do that, even though I believe that if I was someone who came in and was trying to fix something, I would want to be judged on my actions, which is why I'm okay with the individual that says, forget everything that happened back then. I still don't agree with the rebuild starting from 2017, and that's why I'm angry. Much respect to that person. Not as much respect to the person that thinks that Paddock being away and Discofani and Williams and Castillo being away has to do with anything that's happening with the Marlins right now. I don't know if all of the things that I have rambled off on for the last 10 minutes can be overcome by winning. If there is one city that will be able to do that, it's this city. Because we love being where the hotspot is. If we, if the Marlins really become the Astros or the Cubs, or even the Royals for just three or four years. Miami will show up. I could drop right now a Pitbull slogan saying that the hottest restaurant is off of Gayocho and 755th Street, which doesn't exist, and a bunch of people in Miami will go and try to find that hot restaurant. It's what our city does. We are absolutely an event town. If the Marlins win, if the Marlins become an event, People will be there, but I still have my concerns because very similar to what Ed is likely going to talk about, I also realize that I'm one of the few and far in between. If you're listening to this podcast, you're also likely one of the few and far in between. Like most political uh, concepts and elections, it's not about the extremes on both sides, It is about the few and far in between that have to choose one way or the other. What is Miami going to do when the Marlins get close to 500 next year with their upcoming core? And when in 2021, they're fighting for a wild card spot or better. And then in 2022 or 2023, they're actually in it. They made the playoffs. I'm assuming that the playoffs will be sold out. But what will happen the next year if they don't start off 10-1 and or 10-5? and What will happen the consecutive years? See, the issue here is that Miami does not only have to win this rebuild, they have to dominate it. Because that's what Loria left. Loria left a farm system that the Marlins could not just win this previous draft. They had to dominate it. The Marlins cannot just do okay in this rebuild. They have to dominate it. The Marlins cannot just go to one playoff appearance. They have to go to three, and you better win a championship at that time because if not, Miami's not going to show up. This is the issue This is where the issue lies. So when you ask me what I'm worried about, it's not the pitching, it's not the on the field, it's not the win-loss record that matters absolutely nothing. Next year, we can start worrying about the win-loss record. This is year two of a rebuild. Let's go. Let's relax a little bit. It is about whether they can ever do enough or they will ever be able to prove and get enough trust with that city again. Because of... All of the disarray that has happened and because they decided whether financially alone or baseball decision alone or a combo of the both, which is what I believe in. There's a theory of why they did this rebuild. It was financial and baseball decision. There's merits on both sides of of that discussion. They decided to do it and they decided to add to the scoring lover and they decided to add to that because they had to have known that this was kind of the response they were going to get. And they still did it good for them they have a strong backbone and quite frankly they probably needed to financially and it made sense when you have a 75 win team with no farm system to rebuild from a baseball standpoint but you've added it so now you have to dominate you've done well with the draft you've minor league players are performing to me it's not even a question of if this rebuild will produce a better product than the 2017 it will When it comes to win loss in a few years, this rebuild will absolutely have a better product than any of the four years that that core was together. Just, I don't know, put 50 on it from me. And if I'm wrong in three years, come back and collect your 50. And yet, my question is even with that, will it be enough? Ed Stanabria is going to be calling in in a little bit. Look forward to that conversation. Hear him out. He's a really bright guy. And like I said, and, and, very similar to this conversation that I just had right now with you. He's going to give us an interesting perspective on being one of those few and far in between. promised ed sanabria has called in and is joining us and he's actually on a computer so he has a mic so we're getting like the five star experience here with ed ed brother how you doing i'm doing good danny how are you man I'm good, man. I'm excited to have you on for a myriad of reasons. Number one, because you know, like with anyone that comes in, and with anyone I really engage with, I love talking baseball with people that know what they're talking about, and you definitely fit that bill. And then number two, like you're in the same career, you know, path as me somewhat, right? Dealing with yeah, different, yeah, definitely different populations, a, a different kind of. Uh, conversation pieces but I haven't had someone yet that's in the mental health field and in the psych field so it's pretty cool to have you on but I won't be the one to introduce for you go ahead and let the people know who you are and, and, and what you do
1: all right uh, my name is Edison Abrea I'm a behavior therapist here in uh, West Kendall South Florida Miami I basically travel all over the place I've been a huge passionate fan of the Marlins since his inaugural season I was born in 93 same year as the inaugural season. Uh, I've attended two games of the O3 World Series. I was a season ticket holder for from 2011 to 2014, um, and I've just been a diehard fan ever since I can remember. It all started with my father, and I've carried it, carried it over to me, and I try my best to carry it over to everybody around me, but... It's not that easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not It's not easy. And I hinted at this earlier in the recording that this was one of the reasons I was also excited for you coming on because I think, you know, I always ask the individual what they want to talk about, right? I'm never going to force anyone to talk about what they, um, you know, other than what they would choose. And you gave me a really great topic because it's one that I think we can all empathize with. We could all understand this. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a Marlins fan and you're probably yeah. few and far in between. Right. And that was kind of your concept was the fact that it's frustrating sometimes being a Marlins fan, even within the city, because we feel like we're so limited and there's such a a small, minute amount of us. So talk a little bit about that, because really, as soon as you sent me that, I smiled because I could just feel that within myself. Talk to me about about the frustrations that come with that.
1: So I think um, something that a lot of us have experienced in. And just being a fan, is just, you know, you bring up Miami Heat, you bring up even, dude, you can even bring up the Dolphins, who have probably, you know, some would argue a worse uh, career than the Marlins do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people will go to Dolphins game, and they'll back the Dolphins like, you know, like it's life and death. People will go to Heat game, same thing. You know, Heat have a winning culture, and I completely understand that. Then, you know, you go to the Marlins, and well, you can mention the Panthers too, but if I'm being honest, not a lot of people talk about this Panthers, Mm -hmm. but if you go to the Marlins, you know, we have two world series. We've had countless of just studs on our rosters. I mean, yeah, you know, unfortunately they get traded away, things happen and, you know, people have, you know, the Marlins itself has left a bad taste on a lot of people's tongues. Um, be it the old regime and even the new regime now with, with Jeter and, and company. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very hard, especially when, you know, when you get to the topic of like, Hey, let's go to a Marlins game. Or did you see, you know, I don't know, Garrett Cooper hit his second grand slam on the exact same pitch. He got thrown out in Detroit. You know, it's there's things that we see, but it's very difficult for us to translate our excitement onto others, especially considering that most of our of the fan base that we have now and you know marlin's twitter we look at things deeper than just what's the major league product that's being put out this season you know we look into the minor league system we look into contracts we look into possible free agency coming up and that's a really hard thing to show to uh people who just don't have any trust in this franchise to be honest
0: yeah. Yeah. No, right with you. Couldn't have said any better. I mean, I always bring up the example and I will continue to do so. You go to your local, you know, barbershop or restaurant or whatever. And if you're wearing a Marlins cap, it's almost like you're, you're not even part of the system. I, I was eating at, uh, you know, we'll call it a shameless plug at some place uh, down in Miami. And I was sitting there and I had my Marlins hat on. I was enjoying a nice little lunch with my mom and, you know, not very, uh, covertly, I could hear the guys next to me being like, oh, I wonder if that's the new logo. I wonder if that's the new logo. Maybe we should ask him. Like, I mean, I could hear them talking, right? And like, man, I can't even name you one Marlins player right now if I tried. I couldn't and it's always the same narratives from the individuals. And I think, especially you and I being in the field that we are and we could give a long thesis on why that's the case and why it's understandable and why I grasp that the fans have turned their back and they don't care if it's some of them don't know if it's a new logo or can't tell you that Harold Ramirez, like Fox Sports Florida just that has the most hits out of uh, any Marlins player in the first, you know, fifty or so at bats or something to that extent, whatever the stat was. But it's still frustrating for us, you know. It, it's still Absolutely. frustrating that we have to be there, and and that's it's a difficult situation. So. What what do you tell? What do you personally tell, you know, your family members that are like, no, I don't want to go to a Marlins game or I don't understand what's happening. What's what's your go to?
1: The first thing I will say is um I try to stay away from even discussing the minor league system. I think for a more, I think if there are any, you know, baseball fans left right now, meaning as in what's going on right now in Miami. It would be very hard to like try to get someone excited that doesn't even want to go to a home game that's what gonna cost you ten bucks, right? And you got the three oh five menu, you know, like it's not even gonna cost you that much to go to a game, but it's really hard to tell that person who doesn't want to go in the first place that we have a minor league system that's just completely stacked. It's near <laughs> impossible. It's like, you know, you tell by bro, you know, we got Isan D's Monte Harrison, they're gonna be like, Who? Oh, you know, the guys we traded up for Yellich. Oh, you mean the MVP. You know what I mean? That's what's gonna end up right. happening. <laughs> yeah. So I try to stay away from the minor league system. One thing I will try to emphasize on will be, you know, Harold Ramirez. I think that what we have with Harold right now is, I think, something that's very sustainable, you know, hopefully God willing. Um, And then, you know, I try my best to, if we go out, you know, like Friday nights, I always tell people are the best times to go because you have the Friday night spectacular, you know, or is it Saturday nights. Yeah, Whatever Saturday night fireworks. with the fireworks. Yeah, Saturday. Right, Saturday, Saturday nights. There you go. Saturday nights, you know, you have the fireworks, which I think are absolutely amazing. I, mm-hmm. Those fireworks are, like, amazing. Um, I definitely go to those. You know, I, I try my best to invite people to those. Partying at Black is also pretty fun sometimes. Um, But, yeah, it's it's hard. And it's going to be one of those things where, you know, it would have to be either a really good deal or we're just going to have to be winning consistently. And that's not going to happen, like, at least not this season, hopefully. Right. I mean, unfortunately. But um, it's just being patient. And even if nobody else wants to go with me, I'll just I'll go by myself or I'll invite my dad, who's will never say no to a free game. You know, there's always going to be that one person where hopefully you can invite. And if not, you know, hopefully one day there's something that we can do to, like, get people together, go to games, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know, I guess let's who, who wants to go to the game tonight and then a bunch of people respond on a thread or something. I don't
0: know. Right. No. Yeah. And, and I'll say this. It really is about getting them to the stadium, at least in my experience and I'm really not someone I'll be honest I'm not someone that goes to games to be with a bunch of people like I want to be with my wife and then whoever's closest to me and it's usually just my wife like I just want to be with my wife and enjoy my wife's company watching the beautiful game of baseball however if I were Someone who wanted to go and get out people. It's really not that difficult to do the second time around. I have individuals on Twitter. I have individuals just in my own, you know, real life, non Twitter existence, I guess, that did not want to go the first time this season. And if they mm. go this season, they're excited to go the next weekend, even if they lost nine to zero, because there really is something about the stadium this year, whether it's the concessions, whether it's just the atmosphere, whether it's Friday nights and Saturday nights with the band in the, you know, section Comunidad uh, 305. Yeah, people don't want they're hesitant to go in the beginning and then when they go it's a fun experience but I'm with you if you bring up Isan Diaz you're right they're going to trigger word Christian Yelich and then even if Isan Diaz becomes something oh when were we going to trade them right it's the same narrative yeah, and, and the hope is that winning destroys that and you touched on this without even knowing what I spoke about in the dialogue piece today was someone sent it in very sarcastically right because I'm Mr. Positive sent it in Danny is there anything you're worried about Right? Like trying to bait me. And there are things to be worried about. The one that I spoke about most uh, powerfully was the fact that I'm not even sure when they succeed. Because I really do they will. I really believe they will succeed at some point. Um, because of the rebuild and the pitching and just how extensive the, the farm system is right now. But even if they do, I'm not so sure they can get the trust back for the city. And I'm not so certain that their Miami's gonna come back the way they are. That's that's my worry. That's my worry. Now, you said if they win, which is something I've also said before, Miami will show up because that's the way Miami is. Uh, is there any part of you that shares that worry that I have that even if they don't, I mean, even if they win, these people aren't coming back. These people are pissed. Or do you say, no, Danny, this really is Miami. I mean, you've said it so yourself. If you if they win, people will show up. Where do you stand on that?
1: So here's the thing. Um, I have seen, you know, like, you know, you go on Instagram, you go on Twitter. People make jokes all the time about the Marlins attendance. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I'm not in the business standpoint for the team. I'm more of a just, I just want a a good product out on the field. So I don't care if there's 10,000 fans. I don't really care if there's 27,000 fans. Mm -hmm. Um, If the Marlins give me a World Series, and I say give me as if I'm going to get one, but I'm just saying, if we win a World (laughs) Series. We could buy the replica
0: rings after, that's okay.
1: Exactly, or I'll go to the stadium giveaway. They'll probably have one in a year or two. Um that's that's all I'll care about because I know like you said, like they're gonna show up. I have no doubt in my mind that if we go, you know, if we win the World Series and we become the Astros, they're gonna show up. You know, you take a look at Houston, they had no one, you know, back in 2011, 2012, you know. I remember their Carlos Correa signing in the first round. Like they didn't really have fans back then. They had a they had a pretty cool team and they had a rebuild coming up and they had everything right. But you go to an Astros game now and that thing's packed to the brim. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I would like to say that Texas as a state is very similar to Florida. You know, neither one of us have a long uh, record of wins and we both have pretty much the same fan bases. So I do think that the fan base will show up and that it will grow. Um, I do think also though, that a lot of what has to do with the lack of fans going to the stadium is just the location. Um, I can understand that for a lot of people, it is rather inconvenient. But I do think that they will show up, and even if they don't, and the Marlins are winning championships, I don't think I don't think that'll bother me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, at the end of the day, Miami will front run to a certain extent, and we're not part of the marketing, so that's not something that we have to worry about if the on-field product gets there. Is there any part of you, or rather, I'll ask it in a more open, in a stance. What is your expectation of the on-field? product you know the question of well when would we look at them competing again or or what do we like about the current status of the marlins and current state of the marlins and what we don't like what are, what are your thoughts on that
1: so i would say that like you know if 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 you were to ask me like you know just yeah like just like you mentioned it i think i would say it all depends on how aggressive we are in free agency in the coming years i think that um we have a we have a great system coming up, but at the same time, you know, sometimes that doesn't translate over to the major leagues. And as unfortunate as that is, you can take a look at Lewis Brinson, who I mean, I understand the guy's young, but it's been as of right now nothing short of a disappointment. Right. Um. You know, you it, and it happens quite often, and it's not fair to you know just assume that someone's going to be this great, outstanding player because you you really never know. Uh, you can take a look at just other teams, the, the Braves with um, Swanson, you know, even the Nationals with Robles, you know, you, there's a, there's a, there's a learning curve to it, especially with these young players. And, you know, some people don't hit their prime. So like, you know, way later into their, into their careers. Right. Um, so I do think that a lot of it will have to do with what they do in free agency. And also, you know, what ends up happening with these, uh, you know, young players coming up in the system, but, Honestly, I would say by 2022, we should be, you know, if not winning the division, you know, getting there and just, you know, ending the seasons above 500. I definitely think that showing having what we have now, I think this team with just a few more hitters could have been a 500 team mm-hmm. because we have the we have the starting pitching. We have a pretty solid core with Cooper and Ramirez and, you know, Alfaro even even though I know far probably isn't part of their future plans. But as of right now, I mean, I can see him being a stud in the team. He's going to be, right. you know, a great player. So I would say around 2022, I think that's what I've been telling people at least. <laughs> Sounds
0: good. Yeah. I I, and I would agree. Right. 2021, I think that they start getting competitive. 2022, you're starting to look at what could be a playoff team and and you hit it. I mean, the pitching, it's been phenomenal. The, the pitching Absolutely. for as young as they are and, um, as unproven as they are which is where the inconsistencies come into play they've been really great you give this team an average offense and you're looking at a 500 or around a 500 squad and the defense has also improved a lot since the first uh week or two week or so of uh of what was happening with the overshifting and and whatever the case may be uh i i have kind of one more question and then we can take it wherever you want um you know, a lot has always been made, and I've wanted to get kind of a theme from anyone that's come on, of what they thought of the rebranding, of what they've thought of. I know you said, you know, we're not on the business side of it, but just as a fan, your, your I guess, assessment of the changes, the the off-field stuff that we've seen, whether it's just the rebranding or the stadium or the colors, what was your initial thought and, and how has it changed over the last year?
1: So, personally, I love the new uniforms. I love the new colors. I love everything about... Uh, what they've done. I mean, the only thing I might... my only complaint when it comes to the rebrand is just the uh, the black unis. I think the the names on the back is just not visible enough. I think they. Right. I'm sure they'll tweak it up eventually, because I'm, I mean it's something that everyone shares. When you're present at the game and even on TV, you can't really tell who's if you're if you're a new fan and you're just a person coming to a game, you're not gonna know who's in right field. You're not gonna know anything because it's right. it's literally just like a a black shirt. Um, I do think, and I and this might be you know, an unpopular opinion. I do feel like the the rebrand was done at a poor time, okay. and the reason why I say this was because I, I feel like it would have been a much better rebrand if it would have been done when they were looking to be seriously competitive. Hmm. Um, the way I see it, and this is just based off you know, like what we were talking about, what people say around us, because we are a minority. You know, us fans. Like, what what's left? What's on Marlins Twitter and can have these debates and knows about the minor system we're a minority or maybe we're a majority given how many people actually go to the games but i would say we're probably <laughs> a minority um i think everyone kind of saw the rebrand is just kind of like well i mean that's cool new colors but you guys aren't winning right you know and i think it would have been a lot i guess more beneficial had they had done this maybe in 2021 maybe next year when you have you know monte harrison isan diaz batting and coming into these lineups but I mean at the same time it doesn't really matter like it's it's going to be around forever but that's my only I guess my only gripe with with this rebranding I think it was maybe a little bit too premature but again I guess it, it, it's, it's my opinion. I know it's mm-hmm. probably not a very popular one, but
0: that's how I feel. I, I, I think that's a really good opinion, actually. I think that's a really interesting perspective because, yeah, it, it almost feels like a carryover where if you would have done it this new, this next year or a year after, it is a true rebrand baseball ops and business side. So, exactly. like you mentioned, oh well, now here's Monte Harrison, and it's a new chapter. Here's Isan Diaz, and it's a new chapter. Here's our new colors with our new players that are gonna be competitive. Instead of in year two of a rebuild, where we're still not gonna be competitive, but hey, look, we look a lot better losing. Like I, I get, I get your perspective. Yeah. I think the, the exactly jealous, like the envious fan in me, would have still wanted the stuff to come out early, and that's just premature uh, thinking or like elementary thinking, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that. It would have been a nice it would have been a clean break, I guess, is where I'm getting at if they would have done it this upcoming year, the following where both sides are on the same time. Like the business is ready to have a clean break and the baseball side is ready to come up. All right, brother. So I will just let you let the people know where, you know, they can find you or if they if they want to follow you on Twitter or whatever the case is. And I'll I'll let you get back to uh, to this beautiful Sunday that we have here
1: all right so yeah i mean i'm on twitter you guys will probably see me pretty i'm pretty active on there Absolutely. Um, my, tw- my twitter handle is JollyGator. um i'm usually either talking about whatever the game's going on any moves made or uh be the show 19 which is like another big passion of mine is uh mm-hmm. video games um thank you danny so much and i want to say thank you to all the members of fish stripes uh you guys have given most of us a voice and an avenue to go look at you know, and, and vent our frustrations and see what's good to come and what we have looking forward uh into the future of this team. Uh and it's definitely something that a lot of us fans, you know, definitely struggle with is having anything positive to talk about with someone aside from, you know, just what the game at hand. Right. So I really appreciate you and, and all your coworkers and all the writers at Fish Stripes for what you guys have been doing. Thank you for bro. the fans.
0: I appreciate that, man. You put a smile on my face, most definitely. (laughs) All right, Ed. I will see you. Thank you again for coming on, man. And as always, go fish. Go fish. another sincere thank you to ed for joining us you were awesome and i mean just the perspective i really think that at the end of the day individuals that heard this from the beginning to the end on today's episode can truly understand uh that concept of few and far in between and what that means for us and the hope that with the winning which does look like it'll start taking place eventually the fans can come on in but at the end of the day you are an original You are now on air for them to know that you were here when the Marlins were 21 and 40-something. And I appreciate you coming on. All right, another happy Father's Day to all of those of you that are Papa's. Um, I hope that you enjoy your week and I hope you enjoyed this episode as always. I will always ask for you to like, and subscribe and leave a review as always. Also make sure to listen to our sister podcast. We all do a, a great job at really identifying things throughout the system, whether it's an a whether it's turning their stripes across the minor league system, give us your feedback, continue with the dialogue questions. And I hope that you enjoy what we give back to you. Go fish.